Hello and welcome to the Clear Cruise podcast. This week we're coming to you straight from the floor at our very first Expedition Cruise Forum here in London. Coming up in this week's episode, Seaborne Vice President of Expedition Operations, Robin West, talks about the unique aspects of the expedition world. Later, Travel Weekly's Lucy Huxley hosts an expert panel on the next generation of expedition. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to welcome Seaborne's Vice President of Expedition Operations and Planning. It is, of course, the amazing Robin West. Antarctica. Um, you know, I think when everyone thinks about expedition cruising, you always look at the polar regions, and one of the first areas you always look at is Antarctica. If you've got guests who haven't been to the Arctic and they haven't been to Antarctica, my biggest recommendation is to send them to the Arctic first. Antarctica is one of those destinations that is larger than life, it's overwhelming, it's wildlife everywhere, you step ashore, there's 60,000 penguins, you don't need to look for wildlife, it comes to you in Antarctica. And what often happens is guests join us in Antarctica and then think, oh, it's got to be the same up in the Arctic. And it's not the same. It's an incredible experience, but it's different. It's a more subtle experience. There's flowering plants, wildlife is not just abundant, but it's a different experience. So, you know, when I talk about Antarctica, one of the first things I always say to people, if you haven't been to the Arctic and you haven't been to Antarctica and you're planning to go to both, head up to the Arctic first, it's going to blow you away, incredible experience, and then come down to Antarctica and try and do it in that order if possible. Most expedition ships, do a typical 10-day sailing out of Ushuaia down onto the peninsula, spending about five days down in Antarctica, doing zodiac tours, kayaking, landings, and really immersing their guests in Antarctica itself. Antarctica is one of those destinations that every single expedition team member lives for. Now, I'd shown my dad a million photographs of all my trips to Antarctica, and very much to what Peter said, you don't get it until you go there. And then my dad joined me for a trip once, and all of a sudden, he understood the entire concept of what we do. Expedition cruising is so different to anything else um, that's out there in terms of, of the leisure travel industry. <coughs> What's also very popular is many ships will do an 18-day sailing, so leave in Ushuaia, day at sea, they head up into the Falklands, they do some of the outer islands. That's what a lot of people don't realize. People always think Falklands, Stanley. Stanley is nice, but it's not the best part of the Falklands. The best part of the Falklands are these islands out here, Carcass, New Island, um, you know, there's some fantastic islands. I mean, the Falkland Islands is home to 70% of the world's black-browed albatross population. They nest there. You can stand here with a black-browed albatross on a nest right over there, sitting on an egg or on a chick if you get there in February. You see them late February spreading their wings out, catching the draft, taking off, landing. The young ones are practicing to fly. It's the most immersive experience you can have. Of course, the ships all go to Stanley. Stanley's got some fantastic history. From there, it's two days at sea, out to South Georgia. South Georgia is a standalone destination. The problem is you can't sell South Georgia as a standalone destination because people think it's next to South Carolina. They don't know where it is. It's an educational thing. But South Georgia is spectacular. It's got all the king penguins, it's got the glaciers, it's got the history, it's got the wildlife, it's got the albatrosses. A lot you get in South Georgia, which you don't get down on the peninsula. And if you've got guests who have the time, so often people say, ah, you know, South Georgia, Falklands, the goal is Antarctica. If they have the time, include South Georgia. They will be thanking you 
till the day they die because it will be one of their most incredible wildlife encounters ever. An area many people might not think of in terms of expedition cruising. If, you know, if you're thinking of areas around the world, we always think Arctic, Antarctic, Galapagos, things like that. There's an incredible area in Australia, and in fact, a lot of Australians don't know how special this area is. There's an area in Australia called the Kimberley. Um, it's an area between Darwin and Broome. And the reason I say Australians don't know how special it is, because I spent three years working up there, and Australians would come on our trips with snorkeling gear. And you're like, do you know the largest crocodiles in the world are found in these waters? <laughs> they had no clue what they were actually coming to experience. The Kimberley has been described by many as an area similar to Antarctica, but without the ice. It is a magical destination covered in all these sandstone gorges. Um, there's obviously a dry and a wet season up in that part of the world, so most operations in the Kimberley take place somewhere between May and about September, just in terms of the weather, otherwise you literally get rained on every single day, non-stop. Um, but the Kimberley, what makes the experience there so incredible is the tidal change. The Kimberley has some of the largest tidal changes in the world, up to about 12 meters on a good day. And those massive tidal changes create events in the Kimberley that are created nowhere else on the planet. What's also fantastic about the Kimberley is you've got a lot of culture. So, you know, expedition destinations around the world offer different experiences. It's, it's wildlife, it's culture, it's immersive experience. Sorry, this is on a timer, obviously. But what's fantastic about the Kimberley is getting out into the environment and having a look at the different rock art. There's Wajana, there's Bradshaw, there's Guion Guion art, there's contact art. And places like this at Raft Point offer you a great hike up and it becomes an outdoor classroom. You're talking to guests about the Wajana spirit which was made available to the world probably in about uh, in the Olympics a few years back when Australia hosted the Olympics. I don't know if you remember but they had a massive Wajana that came out of the ground. And this is linked to the Wajana spirit. There's an area that's called uh, Montgomery Reef in the Kimberley. This reef is 20 miles by 20 miles, and at high tide, you can sail a ship over this reef. No problem at all. At low tide, this entire reef system comes out of the water and creates an area known as the river. And it's always fascinating to take guests there. You would drive out into the middle of the ocean with a GPS, and guess what? Like, you know, what's going on? There's nothing happening here. And then literally, within a minute or two, a 20 mile long line and white ridge starts to develop as this comes out of the water. This is a phenomenon you get nowhere else in the world. The Arctic, um, as we said before, Antarctica, Arctic, um, probably the most two popular destinations in Antarctica or in expedition travels. A lot of expedition companies, that's all they do. You know, I never forget, you, you, you wake up in the morning in the Arctic, you do a full day looking for polar bears, you don't find any, and then you're sitting and eating dinner at 9 o'clock at night, and one walks across the shoreside. And of course, all the guests see it, and then you're like, okay, that's that. D dinner over, everyone in gear, get in the Zodiacs. And because these guys determine your day's activities. Everyone who comes to the Arctic wants to see a polar bear. And when you do a 10-day sailing, and by day 8, if you haven't seen a polar bear, you can feel that pressure of everyone like, yeah, I'm asking for a refund here anytime soon. And these guys do deliver. So, you know, in Antarctica, everything's right in front of you. You have great experiences. When you have a good polar bear experience, it is probably more rewarding than seeing 60,000 penguins in front of you. Because you realize how special it is to be able to get close to an animal like this. Up in the Arctic, up in Svalbard, a lot of the areas where you see polar bears, 
All of it's done from the zodiacs. If you're a shore side and a bear comes, you have to leave. They are protected. I always make the joke when I lead trips in the Arctic, we go with bear guides, they carry rifles, they're there to protect you. But I always make the joke that there's more paperwork involved in shooting a bear than shooting a guest. So listen, stay close, and we'll all be fine. So when one does come into the area, you have to move off the area, but that's fine because normally they're curious and that allows you to sit 30 meters off the shore and watch these animals feed along the shoreline and move along with the zodiacs. They, you know, what's nice also in the Arctic is you normally dedicate a day to ice cruising. So most ships in, in the Arctic will dedicate one day, they leave Svalbard, they head north up into the ice pack and they will dedicate a day looking for walrus, seals and polar bears. Some days you see nothing and it's hard work. You stare through binoculars for 10 hours and you see nothing but what? Um, other days you stop the ship and a mother and a cub walk right up to the side of the ship, lean up against the side of the ship and you know, that's when the expedition team kind of go, tick, job done and we can go back to sleep really. <laughs> um, walrus, um, also hard work up in the Arctic. You know, you'll speak to one expedition ship one day, oh yeah, we saw the walrus at Pulapintin yesterday. Great. You go there the next morning, there's not one to be found. They decided to all leave and go somewhere else. So your days, you know, on an expedition ship, and that's the secret to an expedition, is there's no itinerary. You'll notice a lot of companies that sell expeditions, there are no itineraries. You see the, you know, we advertise it as the Seaborn Antarctic Experience. Other people just call it Antarctic Experience Day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. There's no itineraries up in the Arctic and the Antarctic in many of these destinations because your captain and your expedition leader are the ones who are t deciding where we go based on what we've seen. We might have decided to see you know, walrus on day three at a particular destination, but we got lucky and saw them on day one. So day three scrapped and we decided to find something else on day three. So an expedition itinerary is always fluid. One other place I'd like to just very quickly mention um, in the Arctic, one of my favorite spots as well, is an area called Scoresby Sound. And this is another one that goes to South Georgia. Why do not people go to South Georgia always? Because they don't know where it is. Do any of you know where Scoresby Sound is? <laughs> Besides, someone who's been there. <laughs> no one knows where this is. Scoresby Sound is on the east coast of Greenland. It is the world's largest fjord system. It makes the Norwegian fjords and the Chilean fjords look dull in comparison. It is an unbelievable... This place is the only other polar place that blew me away as much as Antarctica did for the first time. You can sail through Scoresby Sound with cliffs on either side, sheer wall cliffs that are you know, 2,000 meters in height. You've got the Greenland ice cap pouring in, just endless icebergs. I and mean, icebergs almost the size of the ones you see in Antarctica that come out of the Weddell Sea. They almost look like tabular icebergs that come out of Northwest Fjord in this place. But you can spend five days, four or five days in Scoresby Sound to circumnavigate the whole area. It is very, very special. On the way out, there's a very small village called Itokotumit. You stop there, and then from there you head down to Reykjavik, a day at sea. But again, an area, only because it's not really well advertised, but it's very easy to get to. It's a day sailing from Reykjavik, but it is mind-blowing, uh, Scoresby Sound, and uh, an area I think that is, is really underutilized in the expedition industry. That's all from us, side. Thank you so much. Uh, soon now. They are Leon Hand, training manager for Celebrity Cruises. 
Akvile Maserati. Have I got that right? Sort of. Maserati. So, uh, sales manager expeditions for Silver Sea and Alba Baker. Baker? Baker. Sorry about that, everybody. Head, uh, head sea kayaking guide at Aurora Expeditions. So, welcome, everyone. So, here's what we mean by that. Robin touched on it, but you know, you might see something you're not expecting on day one and so we have to change things about it. What kind of spontaneous nature do you mean? Well, I mean, obviously, um, because a, a lot of things into fabric and expeditions, so um, some of the expedition voyages may take you know, up to three years before we actually have the scouting trips, getting permits, understanding what wildlife is doing, good weather patterns, and so on. So, in that sense, expedition voyages are planned. But I can't think of any other industry that welcomes spontaneity that happens while you're there because. I often like to say to our trade partners, there's no amount of money we can pay a humpback to reach in front of the uh, of the zodiac or of the uh, of the ship, you know. And uh, we just know the places where this is likely to happen, and we hope for the best. And that is the experience that our guests are chasing because it's not in your control, and this is where excitement happens. And in that sense, uh, of course, we will we obviously have an idea of what we want to do during the voyage, but if, if this you know, a um, fantastic um, phenomena happens in front of you, you will stop doing whatever you're doing and you will just enable your clients to experience that because that is what makes this expedition really such a great experience. Yes. Most rewarding is something else. Absolutely, yeah. because it's absolutely not in your control and uh, it's it's what really sells it. So. Yeah, fantastic. And the other thing you mentioned, which, which Sue, you may want to answer this, it was all about how you actually feel quite tired. Now, on general cruises, there's a lot of stories in there put on the evening entertainment and the show and the dinner, and there's a lot that goes on in the evening. But I, you know, as far as I understand, you know, that, that doesn't exist on expedition ships, oh, no. but, but probably not necessary if you're exhausted and you're yeah. by 10. Just give us a flavour of, of, of an evening when you get back on shore. You sit in sundown and barbecue, but what Yeah, happens? well, you go to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, none of the expedition trips I've done have had any kind of evening entertainment, but they might have a lecture. Right. And then they'll show movies relevant to the destination. So we, we had some of these Galapagos things, not the one you were talking about, but some other ones that were shown. Um, and Blue Planet and things were shown in the, in the library. Uh, people tend to sit in the bar. And the thing is, you're on an expedition, you make a lot of new friends. I've, I think it's the friendliest kind of cruising you can do. And we just, as the week went by, I mean, in the Galapagos in particular, we just stayed up later and later every night just chatting with new friends in the bar. Helped that the ship was all-inclusive too. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm sure some of the fancy new ships will offer more sophisticated evening entertainment, but I mean, you are pretty knackered, you know, you really and you have it. to get up early. You yeah. know, if you want to see the wildlife and you want to see the beautiful light for photography and everything, you need to be up early. There's, there's no lying. Um, I would say take a siesta if you get a chance, because you do sometimes, but uh, no, I think the entertainment should, and I like it like that. It's, yeah. it's more natural. It's, it's about more, sharing experiences. Yes, it's not about going to a, a theatre and yeah. seeing, you know, feathers and sequins and dancing. It's a uh, it's about continuing to learn and continuing the bonding experience. Wow. I just want to pick up on that learning stuff and go back to Al, because obviously you're this sea kayaking guy, but you have to have an awful lot of knowledge and experience because, as Sue says, you want to learn. This is about these are very enriching experiences, aren't they? And people want to come away not just having seen it but understood it. So, what kind of training and do, do guides have to go go through? What kind of training do the guides have to go through? Um, it depends on on where you're going to 
guide, of course, but if you're going to work north and south in the ice, you want to spend some time in the mountains. All of the guides will have done some kind of accredited course, whether it be a kayak guides course or an instructor's course, and they'll have to be accomplished in keeping a group safe and in conditions that could be quite dramatic at times. If you had a catabatic wind come off a glacier while you're out in the kayak, it might be you have to go ashore and then spend some time on shore keeping people comfortable for the next half an hour while you get a, a Zodiac taxi back to the ship. So that it's more a little bit about experience. I've got a range of guys that work for us now, and some of them are Olympic coaches, some of them have worked in the US national team, some of them have been guiding in Australia for 15, 20 years. But you don't really get the, the guides in the polar regions that are doing their first summer as a, as a kayak guy. You have to have a but they have more. to know about kayaking, but they also have to know about the yeah, destination. Yeah, every day is different. Well, like we just discussed, the weather changes and you have to make decisions on the spot. Most yeah. decisions affect the safety of everybody you're taking out. So they have to be good decisions that you're working in conjunction with the expedition leader and the captain of the ship, because you have to be back on the ship at the same time as everyone else. So it does call for a bit more breadth of experience than you would get, um, say, if you're going to run kayak trips out of Oldman, for instance, and, or something like that. Yeah. Um, we had a question around uh, Galapagos experience, whether you could name one of your favorite, your favorite moments from the Galapagos. Okay, yeah. well, actually, my, my most memorable moment was actually on land. And uh, Santa Cruz is not the largest island, but it has the largest population. There's only five islands in the 19 that are populated by humans. 20,000 people live in um, a place called Puerto Ayora. Anyway, the fish market, very, very lively place, very colourful. But what made me really startled was huge pelicans and seals coming in and just watching what's going on, mixing with the humans and also trying to pinch all the fish. And I thought that was hilarious. So it's kind of nature's, yeah, nature's show. Aguila, did you want to answer the question around what you think the next emerging expedition cruise destination will be? I think if we're talking about wildlife, uh, one of the parts of the world that I believe uh, is definitely going to be big is the Russian Far East. So, Kulin okay. um, Islands, um, Aleutian Islands, great wildlife, uh, marine life. And what kind of things can you see there? Just oh, it's the Bull um, Sea of Ohotsk and Bering Straits. Uh, they are very uh, rich ecosystems that um, attract a lot of whales uh, during the you know, uh, feeding season. So, we've got humpbacks, minke whales, blue whales, orcas. Um, you have some endemic species of seals there as well um, Stella sea lions, uh, northern fur seals. Uh, grizzly bears uh, in the mainland Kamchatka and Chikotka, as well as on the mainland Alaska. Um, great seabirds, um, a lot of um, seabirds use the Kuril Islands and Aleutians as nesting uh, sites. They don't have natural predators. Arctic foxes, incredible scenery as well. The um, uh, volcanic um, volcanic uh, islands, uh, active volcanoes and so on. So um, the other one could be as well the subantarctic islands of New Zealand um, and Australia. So um, Macquarie Island, for example, is home to four different species of penguins. It's the only place on Earth where you can see the uh, Earth mantle exposed. Um, super interesting from geology point of view, uh, as well as the wildlife and uh, you know uh, just remoteness of it. So uh, these two would be possibly and Baja California. I think Baja California is possibly one of the best yeah. uh, places on Earth um, for the warm climate um, expedition cruising destinations. Wow, well, we're wetting our appetite. <laughs> Very quickly. Uh, Leon and Sue and, and maybe Al, if you want to chip in, but where's on your where's on your bucket list for a, a, your next expedition cruise? I'm I'm very lucky because I'm achieving lots of bucket lists this year, so I'm going to Antarctica later in the year. Oh, wow. I'm just so excited! 
to. Oh, I'll probably cry like a baby when I get there. Off the, we'll we'll have to Matt to tell us all about it. So, yes, yeah. that's mine. Okay. More tears for Sue. Yeah. All right, Leon. And mine has to be the Sea Cortez because you just sold it to me. So, oh, and I love Mexico, so that's definitely mine. Okay. And, and Al, is there anywhere that you haven't kayaked yet that you'd like to take an expedition to? Um, <laughs> I've been to. I've had the opportunity to go to a lot of places. I'd love to go back to Greenland. It's a, it's a really special place, and perhaps not so much for the wildlife. But the scenery is impressive, and uh, it's not going to be the same in ten years' time. So it's really neat to see. Okay, so linking back to what we're going to now. All right, it's all we've got time for. But ladies and gentlemen, please join me in that's all from us this week. Thank you to everyone who took part and to everyone who joined us here in London today. Did you attend? Let us know your favourite parts by tweeting us using the hashtag ClearPod. That's C-L-I-A-P-O-D. Thanks for listening. My name's Toby Cruz. Happy cruising. <laughs>